Good to see you, and uh, my name is Josh, good to see you, and uh, good to see you again, all of you who are online, really glad that you can join us this morning and be with us. You know, uh, uh, the guys mentioned a few things just to uh, bring to your attention tonight, uh, six o'clock here at the church uh, is our Blue Christmas service, and would love for you uh, to be a part of that. You know, uh, Christmas is a wonderful time of year, it's a great time of year, Time to celebrate and for joy and all those things. It's also a really painful time of year for a lot of people. And uh, sometimes both of those at the same time. And so if that's you, I would love for you to join us tonight. And uh, tonight's just about acknowledging the fact that sometimes life is pretty hard, and especially this season, and just acknowledging that truth before the Lord, uh, asking uh, him for hope and for healing in that. And so you're invited to join us tonight. It'll also be online on on Facebook, six o'clock. You can share that. It's already scheduled. Uh, Bring someone along. But um, yeah, I would love love to see you here tonight. It'll it'll be just a a good time of seeking the Lord and his comfort tonight together. So hope you can join us if that's you. Um, The other piece, uh, again, just a reminder that on Friday night, Christmas Eve, looking forward to that, and that's gonna be a lot of fun, so I hope you'll join us for that Christmas Eve. And then next Sunday, just so you know, again, just hearing it, so you hear it twice in case you missed it, uh, there's only one service next Sunday at 10 a.m., no kids ministry, just our nursery. Uh, We will have nursery, but no full kids ministry, and it's just gonna be a, it'll be a fun morning together celebrating Christmas the day after Christmas together, so hope to see you there. Well, uh, we're in a series uh, called Generous, uh, looking at the generous nature of our God. And uh, I'm reminded of a story of a father who also was generous. And uh, he went to his little girl and he said, sweetheart, uh, I have $2 here for you. And he gave her $2 and he said, but $1 for you, you can spend it on anything you want. But the second dollar, uh, is for the Lord. I want you to, to give that dollar. She goes, okay, this is great. This is fantastic. And so she was going and they went to the store and she was gonna spend her dollar on some candy. And as she was running out of the car, running into the store, she trips and falls and her dollar fell in the storm drain, one of her two dollars. And she looked down, kind of gathered herself up, wiped away the tears. She goes, well, I guess there goes the Lord's dollar. And then walked inside <laughs> you ever do that? I feel that way a little bit? Like, you know, I got this and it's your, oh, but I'm kind of holding on to it too for myself. And, you know, I think that, that story, that little girl, we see a little bit of us and her, all of us do. Well, uh, this morning, we are going to be talking about, about generosity and, and giving and uh, what we've looked at so far. This time of year is so, it's just such a good time to look at generosity. Because all of the Christmas season, really, it's, it's modeled after God's own generosity towards us, right? God so loved the world that he gave, that he gave. He gave his only son. And, and uh, we give gifts because of that, celebrating that God gave us new life in Jesus Christ. Well, uh, we've seen God's generous gift in this series. We've seen his generous nature, just that who he is is generous by nature. We've seen uh, uh, the contentment he gives to us generously in our hearts. And today, we kind of ask the question, okay, so what? 
what does that mean then for me? What does that mean for the way that, that I live my life honoring to him? How, and what we're gonna see this morning is God's generous call on each of us to be generous like he's generous. Now, I put out a little disclaimer last Sunday and I'm gonna put it out again today. Uh, I just wanna repeat it. You know, as we talk about giving and talk about uh, really money a little bit this morning, I want you to know um, if you feel yourself bristle up a little bit, that's a little bit normal and it's okay. But just know, I hope you believe me in this, I'm not after your money. Our church isn't after your money. I would even contend God's not after your money. It's already his, if you didn't know. But do you know what he's after? He's after your heart. He's really after your heart. And Jesus said that uh, where your treasure is, that's where your heart can also be found. That's where your heart will be also. And so even Jesus, when, when he speaks about wealth and money and possessions, he's doing it knowing that Uh, He's going to poke at us a little bit, not because he wants our stuff, but because he wants us. He wants us. He wants you and he wants me. And and so just hear that from my heart. I hope you believe me in that. That's that's the the God's honest truth, not after your cash, not after anything that way. But on on God's behalf, I'm after your heart and he wants your heart. Uh, You know, uh, Jesus said that, you know, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do you know Jesus talked more about money and possessions than any other subject except for the kingdom of God? He talked more about money and possessions. Listen to this, more than than he talked about love. More than he talked about obedience. More than he talked about sin or purity or heaven or hell. 16 of his 38 parables are about our stuff and how we handle it and manage it. In the Gospels, an amazing one out of 10 verses, 288 in all, deal directly with the subject of money. Do you know in the Bible there's uh, over 500 verses about prayer, less than 500 verses about faith, but over 2,000 about money and possessions? Hmm. Seems like kind of a, a, in terms of content, a big topic that maybe we ought to talk, talk about, huh? And think about, God's trying to tell us something. And again, why is he doing it? Is he, is he just after our stuff? No, he's not, friend, he's not. He's after you because he loves you and he wants your heart and he wants my heart. Well, uh, today we're gonna be in Second chapter nine. And uh, before we dive in, though, I want to give you just a little bit of background because uh, we're going to talk about generosity and and how God calls us to be generous just like he is because we're called to image him and to be generous with our time, our talent, and our treasure. Um, And and you need to know, though, this isn't a new call. This is something that um, it's all throughout Scripture, uh, there, there's, there's uh, so many times where God makes a call upon his people to give, to give. Um, sometimes it's for building projects like the tabernacle or a couple different temples and a wall and, and times to, to give towards that. Uh, other times it's for paying church staff and paying ministry workers, paying the Levites. We're gonna see a passage this morning that deals with that. Uh, at times it's for those who are in need 
We're gonna see a passage this morning. Our main passage today is about that. At times it's for missions and church planting. But, but this call to give isn't, isn't anything new. It's something God's been putting out for us uh, throughout history and scripture. And today we're gonna talk about God's generous call on our own lives. And I mentioned we'll be in 2 Corinthians chapter nine. We're gonna be in verses six, seven, and eight. But I wanna give you a little background to that before we dive in. So chapters eight and nine of 2 Corinthians, and maybe we'll go back even before we read it so I can kind of set it up. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter eight, uh, in that chapter, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth for the second time. Uh, if you go back to, to 1 Corinthians, his first letter, in chapter 16, uh, Paul gives them some instruction that uh, he wants them to set aside some money every week for an offering for Christians in Jerusalem who are poor and impoverished and persecuted. See, when uh, Jesus ascended, before he ascended into heaven, uh, he planted the church and uh, he told uh, his disciples, he said, hey, you're gonna be my witnesses here in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria, the surrounding regions, and even to the ends of the earth. And then Jesus ascended. And after that, Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came, the church just started growing like crazy. And over time, uh, they, to get them to spread out to Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth, uh, God allowed persecution to happen among his people. And they suffered and many of them fled and with them fled the gospel. But those who remained in Jerusalem uh, were poor and impoverished and suffered because of their faith. And so Paul, a guy who in a previous life was named Saul and participated in persecuting these Christians said, hey, there's, there's a lot of Christians there who are suffering. And I kind of wonder, you know, for Paul, like in the back of his mind, if he didn't even just sense in his own spirit, man, and, and a lot of that's because of me and my sinfulness in the past. And how do I love them now? And so he, he takes up an offering among the churches and that's what's happening in 1 Corinthians. We see it in Romans and other places in the New Testament. And it's an offering to go back to care for the needs of needy Christians in Jerusalem. Well, what we read when we get into 2 Corinthians into the second letter is we find out that though that happened about a year prior to him writing this, uh, there evidently had been uh, some people who had risen up and come to the church in Corinth, some other teachers who said, you know what? What do you mean Paul's asking you for money? You know he's really after it for himself, right? That's his motivation. And they start accusing him and, and, and uh, slandering him. When in reality, we don't know this, but it's probably pretty likely that those guys who came in slandering Paul were the ones who were after something to put in their pocket. Well, uh, Paul refutes that and it's about a year later now and he's writing again to this church in Corinth and he says, hey, in chapter eight, uh, in the beginning, you guys were so fired up to give and to help. And I want you to finish what you started. I mean, you set the example in your enthusiasm. You set the example in how you began to give. And uh, you've grown so much. And you excel now in so many things, Paul says. I'm using my own words here for all of chapter eight. You excel in so many things now that I want you to also sell, excel in this, in this grace of, of giving and of being generous. I want you to excel in that too. 
And uh, so Paul does that. And then we get into chapter nine and Paul begins to give more instruction for how they ought to give. And that's where we pick up now uh, in, in chapter nine, starting in verse six, uh, how they are to give. So let's read here in chapter nine, verse six. The point is this, Paul writes, he says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. And uh, if we were to read uh, more of that passage, we'd go on and we'd see that uh, in, in verse 11, Paul says, you'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, just like your heavenly father is generous. And he thanks God for his inexpressible gift in Jesus Christ. So with that kind of long setup, let me pray. We're gonna go back and unpack those verses. And okay, that's what it meant for the people in Corinth. What's it mean for me today? What's it mean for us? Let me pray and let's do that, okay? Father, thanks for Jesus and uh, Lord, thanks for your word. Thanks for the spirit. Um, Holy Spirit, I pray you'd, you'd speak to and through me uh, as we look at your word today. Uh, Father, the truth is for all of us, myself included, when we talk about uh, money and our stuff, it, it can get touchy because our hearts get caught up in things they shouldn't. And, and you're not after our stuff, you're after us. You're after me. So uh, Lord, we lay those things bare before you today and uh, we just say, uh, take our hearts, grasp our hearts. And uh, Holy Spirit, I pray you'd give me grace to, to speak your truth with, with love and with kindness and uh, that you'd work in Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, as we talk about giving, first thing I want you to see is this, that giving begins with receiving. What? Yeah, it does. It begins with receiving. I mean, think about it. Everything you have, every time you give some, someone else or you give a gift financially, whatever that is, it was something that first you received yourself. Now, you might have received it because of own uh, initiation and hard work. You might have received it as a gift, as an inheritance. And uh, I'm gonna grab another mic if this keeps cutting out, Calvin. Uh, you might have received it as a gift or as an inheritance of some sort, but you received it as a gift. It was yours. You know, uh, the reality is that everything we have, we first received and it comes from God. All that we have is from God. All of it is. Uh, so before I begin to even unpack our, our passage today, let's just, let's just get this in our heads, right? And in front of us that... I made a list, you ready for it? Every morsel of food, every piece of clothing, every item in our home, every shingle on the roof, every pipe carrying clean water in, and every pipe carrying foul water out, they're all from God, they're a gift. Every electrical wire and outlet, every watt of electricity, every pillow on every bed or every couch, every tile on the floor, every dish in the cupboard, every knife in the drawer, 
every piece of furniture, every thread of carpet, every foot of drywall, every inch of insulation. Can you tell I've been doing some work on my own house? And so this is in front of me. God's saying, Josh, it's not yours, it's for me. Every decoration on the walls, every appliance in the kitchen and laundry room and utility closet, every vehicle that you get to drive or that you get to ride in, every present that'll be under the tree this week, every rock in the landscape, every dollar in the bank, and every penny at the bottom of the junk drawer, and all the junk that's burying the penny. (laughs) It's all from God. All of it is. It's all gift, friend. And you've received each of those things over the course of your life. You've received them. And giving begins with receiving, specifically uh, how you receive them. By the way, just to show you that every good thing is from God, Peter writes this. He says, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And he goes on to say that all of that's in Jesus Christ. It's all given to us as gift in Jesus. And then uh, we go on other parts of scripture here. We read from Jesus' little brother, James, that every good gift, every perfect gift, it's from above. Come down, it's coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. He's generous and he gives us every good thing we have. Everything. It's all his. He entrusts it to us. And so everything you have, you've received. Whether you believe it or not, you've received it from God. And let me just say this, how you receive will determine how or if you give. Because I can receive without giving, but I can't give without first receiving, can I? And how I receive it, if I understand it to be a gift from God, then uh, that's gonna determine you know, what I do with it and uh, how I view it and how I live my life. And uh, I just have a little maybe visual illustration here to share with you on uh, what this might be like. I wonder, are you a sponge or a hose? If I don't spill the water, then I'm gonna need a vacuum. Are you a sponge or a hose? How do you receive is the question. See, sometimes in our lives, and all of us, by the way, have been both, I think, at least the guy on stage has, uh, sometimes we receive it like a sponge and we get good things from God and we receive it and we just hold on to as much as we can. And it kind of drips out and really the only way I'm gonna let go of it, well, I better get some more. And the only way I'm gonna let go of it is if something comes along and forces it out of me, right? That's a sponge. I just get it and I hold on to it. But do you know there's another way to think about receiving gifts from the Lord? And that's not as a sponge, but as a hose. And so uh, I tried this first service and it didn't work, so bear with me. I'm gonna try it again and uh, see if I can redeem myself for this outstanding illustration. We'll find out. But I wonder, are you a hose or a sponge? See, a sponge takes everything and holds on to it, but a hose, it still holds a lot. I mean, if I had a a large hose especially, it could hold a whole lot of water, couldn't it, in it? Probably a lot more than that sponge ever could. But a hose, on the other hand, 
takes water and it just allows it to go through. I think I deserve a round of applause because if you had seen the first service, this wasn't happening. Um, But look, uh, it's still, the hose is full and it keeps coming, it keeps going, it keeps going. And even after the pitcher is full, you know, it gets so much that that the pitcher begins to overflow. I'm making the sound guys nervous. But even if I cap it off, guess what? There's still more. There's still more. Like God's not done. He could just keep giving more. I wonder, are you a sponge or a hose? Are you soaking it all up, holding on to it? Are you willing uh, to receive it as a gift from God, knowing that it's just yours for a time? And he gives you a lot. But will you hold on to it? Or will you hold it loosely and say, Lord, you've blessed me. How can I bless others? That every good gift we have, we receive it in one of those two ways. We either receive it, this is dangerous, as a sponge or as a hose. Keep that in mind. We're gonna come back to that here in a little bit. But how do you receive it? Well, uh, Here's a way, by the way, you might self-evaluate to figure out, am I living like a sponge today or a hose today? None of them sound too appealing, but one is better. Uh, Make a list of everything you have, of everything you've been given, everything you've received. Just sit down and start making a list. And then next to it, make a list of everything you've given. And how many of those things line up? Not that you necessarily give away everything for the sake of just being impoverished and never enjoying the good gifts God gives because he gives us good gifts so that we could enjoy them. But how do you receive them? Do you receive them in a way that says, you know what, that's mine and I have it for now. But if God would call me to give that, I could give that. And I hold it with an open hand, not a clenched fist. And I wonder, how are you living in terms of God's generosity towards you, how you're receiving it. In our passage this morning, we read uh, in verse six, this, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, uh, the people to whom Paul is writing, they would have been uh, totally familiar with the ins and outs of an agricultural economy. That's just kind of the the day and age they were in. Planting, weeding, harvesting, they were common everyday tasks. And so when Paul starts talking about, you know, sowing seed and harvesting, they're like, oh, I know about that. I know that. And my guess is that uh, many of the people, on the one hand, would have known of maybe the one farmer who, I mean, think about it. Any seed that the farmer had to plant, uh, he or she, they would have harvested the year prior. And uh, so sometimes people would have probably known of the farmer who ate too much of the seed in the off season and consumed too much, holding on to too much for themselves so that when it came time to plant, they didn't have much to plant. And when it came time to harvest the next time, they didn't have much to harvest, right? And then uh, they also probably knew of the farmer who uh, fell into a similar trap of Uh, He had harvested well and had a lot, but when it came time to plant, he didn't sow generously, but he sowed sparingly. 
I mean, he kept a whole bunch back, which by the way, there's, there's wisdom in saving, there's wisdom in being prepared for the future and being responsible with what you have. Don't, don't hear that. I'm not calling you to just be crazy and stupid with your stuff. God's not either. But uh, while it seems like there's wisdom in that, the, the, the reality is in this case, there probably would have been farmers who didn't uh, put enough out to get a bountiful harvest. They were so scared of, well, is the soil good enough this year? Or is the rain gonna come? Or is God gonna provide its growth? And so I don't know that I can really trust that. So I better keep this whole pot back here and being unwilling to risk and kind of trust God with the future. You see? And so in the same way, they would have sowed sparingly and reaped sparingly at the next harvest. Uh, you know, that, that's kind of a profound truth that I think applies to us, friends, and, and to our giving. Um, that, you know, sometimes we can we cannot trust God and we can consume too much of our own stuff and, and not have it to, to plant and to be generous with. At other times, we can just uh, be like the foolish farmer who sowed sparingly and kept a whole bunch back, refusing to trust God with the future. Again, not being foolish, but to trust him and to step out in faith and say, yeah, Lord, it's yours. And uh, I, I could give and trust you for the future in this. And then those who sow generously will reap generously one day in an eternal harvest that'll far, out see, ex, far exceed any of our expectations. And you know, like I mentioned, the, here's what's curious is we tend to think um, with the sponge, I'm gonna soak it up, I'm just gonna kind of let it drip out. But you know, uh, the hose actually holds a lot more water. I said it already than the sponge. God can bless you so much more if you're committed to living as a hose versus a sponge. I wonder how are you living? Uh, Proverbs, the writer of Proverbs says this, uh, one gives freely and yet grows all the richer. You ever notice that? Sometimes people who, uh, they, they give generously and they already have a lot and they just keep getting more. How does that work? They give more and then they get more. Some of you have experienced this too. Uh, Another withholds, though, what he should give and only suffers want. See, one, one is like a hose, one is like a sponge. And whoever brings blessing will be enriched and one who waters will himself be watered. Now, friends, here's the deal. We go through stages in our lives where sometimes we are like a sponge and other times we're a conduit that God uses. And if you find yourself in a season of, of grasping too tightly, God still loves you. And he would just say, hey, why don't you loosen that grip a little bit and trust me. And he loves for you to do that. And he gives you joy as you do, right? And hold tightly to him. You know, John MacArthur once said, preaching on the passage we're in this morning, he said, you see, it's the, the lack of generosity that impoverishes Christians. To give, like Paul talks about in verse six, is like sowing seed. It, it, Paul's motivating the Corinthians here to give. He's motivating them to give uh, every week over a long period of time to accumulate a huge sum to take to the poor saints, the poor believers in Jerusalem who don't have enough for the basic necessities of life. 
He goes on and says, other times in God's word, there are exhortations to give towards building projects, other times towards paying church staff. But in every case, the call is to give generously. He's motivating the Corinthians to give, to give magnanimously and generously. And friends, I would just contend that how you receive what you have will really set the stage for how you give. It really starts there with how are you receiving your good gifts from God? And then giving begins with receiving and then it uh, reveals your heart. This is the scary part. (laughs) It, It reveals our hearts. It does because where our treasure is, there our heart is also. Uh, let's look at our passage again. Uh, Paul says, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. And he says then, uh, in terms of how to give, each one must give as he's decided in his heart. Remember, Paul's uh, soliciting a gift for needy Christians in Jerusalem, but this applies to any of our giving, really. We, we must give as one has decided in their heart. Uh, let's go back for one, one moment here. Uh, as they've decided uh, in their heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. A cheerful giver. Wonder, are you a cheerful giver? I've never heard cheers when the offering is passed. I've, I've been a pastor for almost 20 years. I've never heard that. I've yet to hear it. Are, are you cheerful? Well, how do you be a cheerful giver? Well, Paul gives us Uh, some clues here. And that's where we see just even in this verse, first off, they've decided in their heart to give. They've decided in their heart to give. See, cheerful giving, it requires some planning. It requires being deliberate and intentional. Uh, Sometimes we give spontaneously and that's good and we ought to, and there's joy in that. Um, But even when I do give spontaneously, if I do that cheerfully and wisely, it's because I've spent time planning in the past to give and make that part of my life, to give generously, right? You know, uh, the other thing I would say about this, uh, just a little bit of a rabbit trail here, but not really. You know, Paul says God loves a cheerful giver. I would say if, if you don't want to give, don't. If, if you hear, you know, uh, here's talking about generosity and, and money and all that stuff and you're like, I don't know, I don't, don't give, for real. That's serious, don't. God loves a cheerful giver. Now, uh, let me say this though. Sometimes the things you don't want to do become things you want to do when you do them, even when you don't want to like uh, exercise. I don't know about you, but I don't wake up in the morning going, I can't wait to hit the gym and work out. And you're looking at me, you're going, you're right, Josh, you don't, do you? (laughs) But you know, there's been seasons of my life where I have, and there's been seasons of my life where when I do that, initially, I don't like it. I don't want to do it. Uh, I don't want to go through that pain. But over time, I start to, to reap the benefits of that and even some joy in it. And I wake up going, yeah, I do want to get on my bike and go for a ride this morning, or I do want to go work, whatever that is, right? Have you experienced that too? And so uh, again, if you don't want to, don't. God wants a cheerful giver, but just know uh, maybe the way you would get to wanting to is by starting to, even just in a small way. 
And God might use that as you exercise that muscle to, well, I would warn you, I think he will, as you do it by faith. Uh, you know, this was the model when the tabernacle was built. We, as mentioned, we'd look at a building project in scripture today. When the tabernacle was built, uh, notice this. Uh, uh, God tells Moses to tell the people of Israel to bring their sacred offerings and accept contributions from all. Who, who's, he, who's he to accept them from? From all whose hearts are moved to offer them. They, they wanted to. They decided in their heart to give. Uh, it says this a few times uh, in the end of Exodus. Take a sacred offering for the Lord. Let those with generous hearts present the following gifts to the Lord, gold and silver and bronze. And then again, later in chapter 35, all whose hearts were stirred and whose spirits were moved came and brought their sacred offerings to the Lord. See, a, a cheerful giver decides in their heart to give, what to give. Decides in their heart to give and then what to give. And decide it in your heart. Train your heart toward that end. Now, whether it's giving towards the church or just giving in general and being generous. That's what God calls us to do. And the other thing uh, we see from Paul to be a cheerful giver, they don't give reluctantly or under compulsion. And uh, so you're never gonna have me come twist your arm, say, oh, you're not giving enough. I might, I might ask you at some point to give, but I'm not gonna twist your arm and tell you to. You know, I want you to want to. God wants you to want to. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. And by the way, it's not about equal gifts. It's, it's really about equal sacrifice of, of all of us being willing to give as we've decided in our hearts, according to the Lord, not under compulsion, not reluctantly, but cheerfully, because God's first been generous to us. You know, uh, I would encourage you, I'm not gonna look at it uh, this morning. I did the first service, but I'm gonna skip over it. Uh, Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter four, you read about two guys, brothers, who uh, one gave willingly and one just kinda gave. One gave generously and one just gave kind of a general gift. And what you find is that uh, you, God receives one gift but not the other. He doesn't reject Cain, but he rejects his gift. Uh, we're not told exactly why other than it seems to be just his heart in the matter. It's the best I can tell. And Abel's gift was a generous gift and even an extra gift, not just a calf, but also of, it was the firstborn calf and then he gave the fat portions, he gave extra on top of it. And so, so God, and he did it because he wanted to. And God looks at the heart. He doesn't look at the where the decimal point lands. He doesn't look at any of those things. He, he looks at your heart. It's between you and the Lord. And uh, maybe go read that example in Genesis chapter four this week. Now, um, I do wanna talk just practically here about something though for us as a church family. Uh, you know, last spring, uh, we made a commitment, those of you who are members of our church, uh, and I'm believe it either passed unanimously or like 98% or something. But we voted to move forward with uh, uh, constructing a new parking lot, expanding it, making it so you don't have to walk through the muddy puddles or jump over them on your way in in the coming months and years ahead. And to make it an inviting place to, uh, to ensure our church lasts longer for generations to come if Jesus should wait to return. 
And uh, it's all exciting at that point going, yeah, let's get a parking lot. And then uh, the bill comes, you go, oh, we got a parking lot. And so, uh, again, I'm not gonna twist your arm, but I am gonna tell you, hey, uh, we committed to that and it's time now to start being generous toward that. And so uh, in the coming weeks, when we get into January, uh, each of you will have the opportunity, again, if you want, if you want, to participate in this, to make a financial commitment over about six months above and beyond your normal giving uh, toward that end, towards the parking lot. Uh, the, the cost of that uh, continues uh, to be at around $450,000. Isn't that nuts? And uh, we've put it off for about 30 years and it keeps getting more expensive. So uh, we decided to pull the trigger, let's do it. Uh, but uh, you need to know also, and I'll talk about this at the very end of our service this morning. Um, in addition to that, uh, we're going to tithe off of that amount uh, towards a ministry endeavor. And uh, I'm gonna tell you about that uh, later this morning. But again, uh, just kind of priming the pump. I want you to know that's coming, not be surprised. Kind of like Paul sends some people ahead of time uh, to the church he writes to here in Corinth about their giving. And... Uh, my prayer is uh, just that you'd seek the Lord in that and consider how you might give of what you've already received. And Hannah and I will be doing the same, just so you know. Uh, but giving re- begins with receiving. How we receive, it reveals our hearts and it sets the stage here as we wrap up for God's blessing. It does, it sets the stage for God's blessing. I wonder, uh, have you ever read in scripture or have you heard uh, the phrase, don't, don't put God to the test. You heard that? If you have, you rightly have, because it's in, in the Bible, in Deuteronomy chapter six. And, and Jesus, even when he's tempted uh, by the enemy in Luke chapter four, he is uh, taken to the pinnacle of the temple and Satan says, <coughs> if you're really the son of God, why don't you take a leap? And uh, it's written that God will send his angels to come and rescue you and you won't be hurt. And then Jesus says, yeah, but it's also written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test, right? We shouldn't test him, we shouldn't test his grace. But did you know there's a time where God does say, test me, test me in this. It's in Malachi uh, chapter three, and it has to do with giving generously. In this case, the, the giving was toward uh, the Levites who uh, were the temple workers and the ministry workers of that day. And uh, there was a storehouse uh, in the temple uh, where gifts were brought in, tithes were to be brought in, and that was be, to be distributed to the Levites and then used by them also uh, for ministry and even uh, to give to others. But uh, the storehouse was empty. There wasn't much there. People really weren't giving the way they ought to. By the way, let me say this. Uh, I wanna just encourage you. I'm so encouraged. This isn't a message like that's coming at you because like there's a problem with generosity. You guys are so generous. You're generous to our church. You're generous with your time. You're generous to our community. You're generous to me. Thank you. This isn't a message that we have to preach. This is just one a good reminder for us, right? But in this case, in Malachi, uh, the people weren't being generous. And so here's what God says. He says, "Uh, bring the full tithe into the storehouse 
that there may be food in my house. And thereby, he says, put, do you see it? Put me to the test. Put me to the test. Test me in this. Give and test me. And see if I don't open the windows of heaven for you and pour down on you a blessing until there's no more need. And you go on and he talks about how he's gonna send the rain to grow the crops and he's gonna protect the crops from, uh, from the pests, eating them and devouring them and he's gonna hold off the devourer. God's like, listen, if, test me in your giving, test me. It's the one time God says, you know, hey, put me to the test in this. And maybe you would as well. Now, as you do, do it with the right heart, right? It reveals your heart, your heart matters. Tim Keller tells a story uh, that's often attributed to Charles Spurgeon, a famous preacher uh, from a couple hundred years ago. And Spurgeon in England used to tell this story. It goes like this, he would say, uh, a gardener came to his king with the greatest carrot he had ever grown. He did, he came to the king with, with carrots. And the king was touched by that gift and he responded by giving the gardener a whole plot of land because he knew the gardener's heart and giving him the carrot. Well, there was a nobleman who witnessed the event and he decided it would be advantageous for him to present the king with his finest horse and see what happens. So he does it and the king just merely said, thanks for the horse, sent him on his way. <laughs> well, the nobleman is confused. And he goes to the king and goes, hey, what, what, what gives? I mean, this guy gave you a carrot and you gave him a farm. I gave you a, the best horse I have. And you said, thanks. And the king said this, he said, uh, well, the gardener was giving me the carrot. You were giving yourself the horse. Do you see, even when we test the Lord in that, where's your heart in it? of giving to the Lord. Not because I'm gonna get good things, but, but knowing and trusting him that he's gonna provide my every need. Not my every greed, but my every need. And I think we've all found that to be true at different times in our lives, how God provides. Test him in it. And by the way, Paul goes on and he says uh, in verse eight, uh, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. He, he's able to make all these things abound to you. Test him in it, test him in it. Let me end uh, with one final passage from Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis 12, we're introduced to a guy named Abram. He'd later become Abraham. And uh, Abram is uh, about 70 years old. He's living in a place called Ur near the Persian Gulf. And uh, God shows up to Abram and he's married to his wife, Sarai. They have no kids. Uh, she's barren. I wonder for how many years they had tried and finally gave up. And God comes to Abram and he says this. Hey, Abram, this is my paraphrase. Get up. I want you to leave home at age 70. I want you to take off from your kindred, from the place where you know everything and, and understand it all and from your family and your father's house, I want you to take off and go to a place that I'll show you. Now, here's my question. If God, 
showed up to you this afternoon and the spirit said, hey, get up, pack it all up and go. You're like, where? Okay, I'll do that, Lord. Uh, Don't worry about that right now. Just start walking. I'll show you. You're like, oh, I got to think about this. You know, was it, is that, is that the Holy Spirit? Is that you? Is it the tacos I ate last night? Like, what's going on? What's happening in my life? Like, that I'm, is he really leading me? But, you know, uh, later, in verse four, we find out Abram did believe, and he did get up and go, even at age 70. But look at what God also says to him. He says to Abram, he goes, I'm going to make you a great nation. Now, uh, Abram and Sarai had no kids, the age of retirement, right? Probably not gonna have any anytime soon. How's God gonna do this? Abram believed him. And I'll make, I'll bless you, he says, and I'll make your name great. Wow. Why would he do that? Check it out. So that you will be a blessing. Friends, uh, in calling Abram, God was asking Abram to be a hose to be a conduit for his blessing. I'm gonna bless you so that you can be a blessing. Now, I know this is a promise to Abram, right? Not necessarily to us, but the principle holds true. The principle holds true that that God blesses us so that we can be a blessing. No matter how much we have, it begins with how we receive it, which reveals our heart toward it and towards God. And then when as I begin to give in that same way, It unlocks his blessing on my life. Let me pray.